0: everybody and welcome to the Confederations Cup Group B Preview. Tonight we're going to preview uh, on what we can expect for, for these teams in Russia in the coming three weeks. Joining me, it seems as always, because he always seems to be here these days uh, from a Chilean point of view, uh, we have Adam Brandon. Adam, you're, you're fast for coming on every podcast in WFI. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm good thanks Dave. A little bit disappointed by Chile's uh, 3-2 defeat to Romania. This afternoon, but yeah, looking forward to the Confederations Cup coming up and talking about on this podcast.
0: Indeed, well, I've I've missed all the football because, as I say, I'm in hibernation. I'm trying to stay away from it for at least a month, Uh, just to get my head showered, but sure. Also, uh, in addition to Adam, we have uh, another new voice to WFI and one that you'll probably be hearing a little bit more of uh, over the coming season in the form of Daniel Pinder, who is a, a German expert. Daniel, number one, very welcome to WFI. How are you this evening? I'm not too bad very much. and
2: got a bit of money. If that's no you'll have to excuse that, but looking forward to being
0: <laughs> You're the second person today I spoke to in the UK. It has a cold and it's meant to be summer. There you go. <laughs> Next up for on the Cameroonian side of things, we have Sam Crocker in the UK. Sam, very welcome. Again, first timer on WFI. You're very welcome. How are you this evening?
3: Thank you. Yeah, um, just Thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm looking forward to enlightening you of the ways of Cam- Cameroonian football.
0: Well, as I said to you, FreePod, it's, it's, it's a rarity that we sort of get anybody from, from the African side of things or with a, with an eye on the African side of things. So a very, very welcome addition to the podcast. Thank you very much for appearing. And last but certainly not least in Australia, my goodness, we are, we are spanning time zones here. We have Daniel Hemingway. Daniel, again, first time on WFI. You're very, very welcome.
4: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, listen, I'm going to start off basically with, with Adam, uh, because I think he's a bit sore, but he's, he, he's kind of used to that with Chile. Uh, normally the club teams let him down, but his national team let him down tonight. Adam, going, to, this isn't what you would class us. I didn't see the game. So, you know, I've just read what you were typing in the group, but it, it seemed that at one stage Chile were in control of this game and and, and sort of went away from them. Is this the the ideal preparation for going into this tournament?
1: Yeah, it's it, it was an odd game. Chile were, like you're saying, complete control for the first 30 minutes, playing brilliant football, went 2-0 up, two lovely goals. Uh, Vargas got a goal, which is important for his confidence, as he's been out of form recently and not been playing very much in Mexico. Yeah, it, it all looked rosy. And then Romania got one back. Gary Medell got sent off and... Chile just basically didn't get out of first gear for the last hour of the match, so and they ended up losing three two. I can't. I don't think you can read too much into it. Um, Chile last year, just before the Copa America Centenario, they lost to Jamaica and to Mexico, and so yeah, I I, I, I don't think there's too much to worry about really. I, I think we see the real Chile as the tournament progresses but yeah this this confederation's cup is going to be important for chile for a number of reasons you know before 2015 their trophy cabinet was bare but now victories in the copa america on home soil in 2015 and also that one last year again in the final against argentina on penalties when they won the centenaria means you know They've got two very nice-looking trophies in their cabinet these days and I'm sure they're going to want to add the Confederations Cup to that. So I think this generation of players are going to be very motivated to win this this competition. And the other reason I think Chile will will also take this seriously and this may be something the other nations will take it seriously for as well is a place is up for grabs in the top seeding in the World Cup draw at the end of the year. And um, Chile are about to lose like 25% of their points gained in 2015 and 2016. So they really have to perform well in this competition to sort of stay in that top six in the FIFA rankings. Because Germany and Russia are guaranteed seeds for the World Cup. So mm. Chile will want to maintain their place in the top six and become one of those other seeds.
0: Hmm, interesting so we'll get we'll get into that a little bit further later on but i'll come across to dan um from the german side of things now obviously we we' we see a german side much much weakened from from their first team and and it's something that personally i i like to see myself dan because is giving you know the, the second stream a chance to play at an international tournament but it somewhat sort of diminishes the tournament itself. I know we'll maybe talk about that a little bit, you know, the, the stature of the tournament and so on as we go. But from from the German perspective, what is this just more a, a test run than anything else? Or do, do you feel with Germany that, that, that there's maybe an ambition to win it? To be honest
2: with you, I don't think Germany will win it in the end. Joachim Löw he said that prior to the Confederation Cup, that he is going to experiment with his squad, which is obviously shown with the 23-man squad that he did announce. At the time of the announcement, he had a six debutants in that squad. Lars Stindl, who had a great season at Borussia Mönchengladbach. Deme Bay, Plattenhart, Armin Younes, who obviously got to the Europa League with Ajax. Uh, Sandro Wagner, he actually finished behind Timo Werner in... As like Germany's top scorer in the Bundesliga. So obviously, there's a lot of players who don't have international experience in the squad. And that was actually criticized by the World Cup organizing committee chief, um, Alexei Sorokin, probably butchered that name, but um, basically, he criticized Germany for leaving the big players out. But I was actually looking at some stats earlier and, you know, I'll take Joshua Kimmich, for example. He's 22 years old and he's played f- 56 games in all competitions this season. He played Euro 2016, Bayern Munich this season, Confederation Cup, and then obviously Bayern Munich next season, and then no doubt he's going to be in the World Cup 2018 squad. So in a three-year spell for a 22-year-old, you know, that could be like 150 games. Say uh, Grindel, he's back in Love with the weekend squad, he's actually called for the tournament to be scrapped which is why they've had a lot of young players. And, of course, Germany, the Under-20 World Cup, which took part in the Under-21 European Championship in a couple of weeks in Poland. So they've got to split that squad between three yeah. of the Under-21 squad could have taken part in this Confederations Cup. But Ozil Cruz, Thomas Muller, Boateng, Hummels, Kira, uh, Mario Gomez, they've all been excluded from this squad. But there's some big names injured. You've got Manuel Neuer, Marco Reus... Goethe, Leo Sane, Julian Beigel. So they're really clutching that strategy with the squad to pick. And to be honest, everyone everyone in Germany expects them to go on to win it. But with this weekend squad, I just can't see it at the minute.
0: That's yeah, interesting stuff, all right. Uh, as I say, we'll, we'll get into these squads a little bit as we go along. I, I, you know, I'll come to Sam here from the Cameroonian side of things. And there are a side that I actually saw in Brazil here in 2014. Found them quite underwhelming and, and was actually quite surprised. I don't follow a lot of African football, but was quite surprised to see them returned as, as African champions. Go, going into this one, what do you think we should expect from them, Sam?
3: Yeah, so you were right to be very underwhelmed by them in 2014 because they were just absolutely appalling and really did not give a good impression of themselves whatsoever. So, in 20, yeah, I mean, just to give you a, a little bit of sort of history of how the teams changed, it was sort of they were, yeah, they, ca- they came into 2014 sort of, you know, very much with these kind of, not high profile, but they, they, sort of, their squad was filled with all these players, which, you you might recognize. So you got sort of Joel Matip, you had Alex Song, players like that who are kind of quite well recognized. They, 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 stuck with that, that squad for the 2015 African Cup of Nations and were once again very underwhelming. Uh, they crashed out the group stage in that one. Uh, they, they were, they played a lot better, but still were, still were quite poor. Sat their manager eventually and then brought in this, brought in a new chap about, probably about a year ago now, I think and he's completely ripped up squad everything um, so now you've got this kind of squad which you wouldn't recognise half of them it's changing all the time they play all over the world um, but yeah you know, this is a squad which basically won them the African uh, Cup of Nations uh, in January of this year it, it really was quite remarkable because the lead up to them was kind of peppered with all these High profile stars dropping out. Joel dramatic um, Saga of Liverpool was probably the most infamous of those, but there uh, are various others as well. And, you know, they had the sort of ramshackle squad of sort of players from, yeah, from everywhere. And yet they sort of just sort of battered their way to victory, really. They're a, they're a very sort of well organized squad that they they will, you know, don't expect any sort of free fly attacking football. They are here to sit back and hit you on the counter. Like, um, that they've, the manager, Hugo Bruce, has made them a very organized unit so they can really soak up the pressure and they they definitely have the power to hit you on the break. Yeah, they did not score many goals during the victorious win in Gabon earlier this year, but yeah, they proved to be very effective and they surprised. Pretty much everyone, and no one more than myself. I assure you.
0: Well, I say just after the evidence of twenty fourteen, I, I was actually surprised to see them win the, the African Cup of Nations um, because they, they just were so underwhelming. But we'll get we'll get into their squad a little bit as we go. Moving down under to Daniel, Australia, Daniel. They're a team that sometimes are magnificent to watch and sometimes they aren't. Going into this one, what's your feelings with them? The last few weeks, they haven't been magnificent to watch.
4: They had a World Cup qualifier against Saudi Arabia, which was just dreadful. The first half was 2-2, and the manager, Ange Postacoglu, is insisting on playing three at the back at the moment, and the three defenders aren't of that quality. And as you can see last night, when they got destroyed by... Who scored within 12 seconds. It was Australia kicked off, passed it back to Baby Wright. He gave the ball away and they were 1-0 down. So going forwards, they're good. They have some good players. Three fantastic midfielders in Aaron Moy, who we saw at Huddersfield last year, who was a standout player in the championship. Then you've got Tom Rogic at Celtic, who's probably their best midfielder. Again, going forwards, he can score from anywhere. His vision is brilliant. And then they've also got Tim Cahill, who comes on and scores for fun. Mila Yedinak has just been injured, so he's been ruled out. He's their captain, so that's a big-ish loss. He's not been brilliant this year at Villa. So um, a guy called Mark Milligan's going to be coming in, who I'm a massive fan of. He's playing in guitar, which is completely wasted there. He's never been given a chance over in Europe, but he's a fantastic player. And As Australia do, they always turn up for big tournaments across all sports. And The Rugby World Cup a few years ago... The team hadn't won in weeks and weeks and they get to the final and lose. So you never know. The people aren't holding out much hope because defensively they are quite weak, but... Big tournaments, we'll see.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think you're flattering them there, trying to send them close to the rugby union side, the worlds <laughs> apart. Even, <laughs> even an injured uh, Australian rugby team is a dangerous beast. The football's a different matter. Yes. But listen, <laughs> going into this one, you know, obviously, you know, the expectations around Australia. Obviously, you're delighted to be going there, uh, flying the flag and so on. But you know, really, around the country and whatnot, what's the feeling towards it? You know, it's, it's, it's. It's a major tournament, but let's say it's maybe, you know, it's just not maybe the the, the profile of your World Cups and your your Euros and, you know, so on. So so to the likes of Australia as a
4: nation, what does it actually mean? Uh, As a nation, they probably have no idea it's going on, to be honest, the majority of them. But in the football circles, um, it is a big tournament to people here because they have the Asian Cup, which they won. And then going to this, they've been to a few Confederations Cup when they were part of the... um, the OFC, is it, down um, in Oceana? So they used to qualify for that quite regularly. So they do enjoy the tournament. And there is high expectations amongst the football community. But after the last few weeks, um, that is dwindling somewhat. I think everyone's expecting them to uh, whimper out of the group, as it is.
0: But the expectation then would be to, to, to reach the knockout phase. Yeah. Does, does that constitute really success for them or a step forward for them?
4: Yeah, I think if they could get to the knockout group, it would be success... Um, I think the manager would like to get to the final. Obviously, he, he's a bit delusional at the moment at what standard they're at. And I think that was exposed last night against Brazil. They, um, he talks a good game and he's convinced everyone that they're making strides and going ahead. And then last night, Brazil, I don't know if you saw the game, they didn't really come out of second gear. And it was just so easy for them. They, I know it was an exhibition game, but they're just worlds and worlds apart. And it, I think that exposed Australia truly at what level they're at
0: to be honest with you without, without sounding disrespectful in any way but you know you, you have the, the champions of South America there you have the, you have the world champions in the group and, and the expectation is, is, is to get out of it I, I think you know don't get me wrong I, I admire that but is it maybe just a bridge too far?
4: I think so yeah I don't think they're going to get out of the group I don't think I'm going to the game in Moscow against Chile and I'm expecting that to be a bit of a, a dead rubber for Australia I think they'll lose their first two games and they'll go to Moscow and they'll Again, lose to Chile. I'd be surprised if they uh, score more than three goals, to be honest.
0: I, I take it it's just a lack of, a lack of real quality. You know, you, obviously there's a few players. You mentioned Cahill, who's getting on in years, but you, you know, he, he was, a, he was a marvelous player in his time. I take it the next generation coming, coming along don't really have that quality, Dan.
4: Yeah, there's no one playing at the top level. I mean, we mentioned him. Aaron Moy's just been promoted with Huddersfield so he's going to be in the Premier League. At, I don't know where he's going to be. He was only on loan last year and then there's talks of the goalkeeper Matt Ryan being signed by Brighton so he could be in the Premier League but there's no one playing at the real top level anymore. It's all the second divisions or somewhere random in Europe. Um, there's lots of players playing in Switzerland and Portugal and no disrespect to these leagues, Norway and Belgium but they're not the top elite leagues are they and That's where they're missing the fact. When they had such a good team in 2006, the majority of the squad were playing in the top leagues across Europe. Now they're all sort of championship standard players and, not the top end of the championship, unfortunately. I mean, the centre backs playing for Bristol, who was just signed from Preston, so that sort of gives you the level that these players are at.
0: Indeed, uh, it's uh, you know, uh, and those type of players sometimes tend to get exposed at, the, at that level. I'll come across to the other Dan from the German side of things because I think that this is this is a curious one. You know, uh, your feeling on on the German population and the German expectation going into this one is it's, it's very much. Um, I would probably say. Correct me if I'm wrong. That Germany would sort of prioritise the importance of the under twenty one than it would um, the Confederations Cup. But really, what will this mean to Germany, Dan? Do, do you feel that you know there still will be an eye on it um, to to have a look at these players? So you know, as I said when I spoke to you first, you know, I love the idea that the second string get a run, and and you know, I wish more nations were doing it. Um, you know, it allows players to maybe come through that have not had a fair crack at it. But really. You know, what do you think Germany's goal for this tournament will be?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've got a quote here from Jogi Love and he said, no matter where we finish in the Confederations Cup, it just makes sense to go with this squad. It might help us as soon as next year or maybe in three years. One day the Confederations Cup will become important for those who played in it." it. It is true to an extent, as you saw, I don't know where it was, but under-21 European Championship a few years ago, you had Mesut Ozil in there and all those who are now World Cup winners. So clubs in Germany have a real emphasis on youth players, as you probably know. And you just have to look at how many young Germans are playing for their domestic sides in comparison to maybe Spain, Italy, obviously England. And what they're doing now it is setting, up, setting them up for, obviously, uh, World Cup 2018 and um, the Euros in 2020. And it's just a continuous process going through and through. Obviously, they've got um, some good players in this squad as it is, and hopefully they'll become on to retain and defend
0: their World Cup. But what would you say is the minimum expectation, Dan, given the fact, you know, we're talking about Germany here, world champions, serial achievers at all international competitions. Surely the thought of them going out at at the group stage is unthinkable, even in, in its current guise.
2: Unthinkable, yeah. Um, I've got them down for the semi-finals, but Germans always want to win, and you no, know, anything less is a failure pretty much. If they don't win the Confederations Cup, then it's deemed a failure for them. But even though they have got that weakened squad, there's, there's still high expectations for them.
1: I think the difficult thing for Germany will maybe be the cohesion of the team. You no, know, with with so many new players coming in. Yeah, and they're up against. In their group, they're up against Chile, who have a very, very good cohesion, for example. So I think from a German perspective, I would worry about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, one thing that, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think um, Chile, they've had like three games in the lead-up to um, Confederation's Cup. Germany have only had two, and that was only against Denmark and San Marino. So they're trying to integrate these new players. Obviously, they've lost, like, so Philippe Lam. Bastian Schweinsteiger, Miroslav Klose, Per Mertzacker, and all these, you know, World Cup winners. And now they're bringing through the next lot of players who hopefully can kick on and have that next generation, a golden generation once again.
0: Just to be devil's advocate to to Adam there, you know, and and you mentioned it, what you said there earlier, Dan, you know, all these players, the youth system in in Germany is very much valued. Surely to, to, to counter what Adam's saying there, These guys have all played together throughout the youth ranks. So that should be valuable in some respects, one would think, in in a team bonding. Yeah, I mean, some of these players have probably played together from like,
2: well, since like the under-17s. In Germany, they do it like by regions. So obviously you've got like um, players from Schalke, Borussia Dortmund, and then as maybe under-8s or whatever, they'll all be in the same academy for each different region's. And then as they get promoted, you know, obviously they're integrating the best ones get through. And then obviously you have the squad they have now and the majority of them have played together before and obviously it's not the same as that golden generation as it once was, but you can tell that they have played together.
0: No, indeed. And we'll, we'll swing across to Sam, and, and really the same for you. You know, what do you feel that the expectations are for for the African champions, basically, in this tournament? How far do you think uh, they need to go in, in order to reach that mark that keeps everybody happy, Sam?
3: Well, I think I think you've got you've got sort of two levels of um, expectation, really. You've got sort of what you realistically expect. From a neutral perspective, and what are you expect if you're a Cameroonian? I think from a neutral perspective, they're clearly one of the worst teams there, and they're in a very strong group, and they I don't think they'll get out of the group stage. I don't, I'm not sure if Cameroon Cameroonian probably agree with me. They might feel that you know, as African champions they should they should do better, and uh, this is a chance when you know other teams um, weaken squads, and you know they generally take it a bit less seriously, and this might be a time to kind of show their mettle as it were and kind of maybe progress outside of the group but you know it, it's it's difficult it, you know it, the reason that the other teams are might not play so well is because it's a competitive cup and they don't take it so seriously and, and i imagine that would be the same <laughs> same case with the Cameroon side to be honest um yeah i mean it, i don't i don't think there's a if they don't get out of the group then there's not be riots but um there might be a a bit of disappointment and concern from from some um, factions of fans, I would imagine.
0: No, I'm just curious from from you know maybe an African viewpoint because we don't get that very often on WFI. I'm just curious. You know, the stature of this tournament in regards to, to, to Cameroon and maybe other African nations, you know, we, we certainly talk at, Adam and I would, would always talk about, you know, the World Club Championship being the jewel in the crown sometimes of, of, you know, the South American calendar, whereas you, the European side of things don't take it seriously at all. What, where would the, the confeds maybe sit in the, in the African psyche?
3: It's, it's a funny one because the yeah, African competitions happens every two years rather than every four years. Um, you, you kind of get quite regular hits of domestic, well, sort of continental international tournaments, if you see what I mean. So I think, I don't, I don't think they're sort of like desp you know, whereas sort of other teams might be, you know, they, I mean, they might have not had a tournament for a while or they kind of see this as, um, they might see this as a bit more important, but this is African teams. This is one of the rare summers they'll get off, basically, <laughs> or at least one of the rare years they'll get off um, for the most of them that don't win it uh, apart from Cameroon. so i I don't think it, I don't think it sits particularly high on their list. you know I think there's always this sort of clamor when it comes around to the World Cup that you know an African team must must progress um outside the group and they must you know we're when an African team going to win it, et cetera, et cetera. It's all a bit sort of, it's quite, yeah, I, I don't see that as particularly important, if you ask me. But I think, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure they see the Confederations Cup as particularly uh, vital, to be honest.
0: And Adam, I'm curious as to what how chilly uh, the, the, the double South American champions, you know, I, I experienced the confeds down here in 2013. And, you know, for Football Mad Brazil, it was like it wasn't happening. It was happening here. Um, you know, obviously all eyes were on the up-and-coming World Cup. They had no eyes for anything else, and uh, which surprised me greatly because, you know, a trophy's a trophy. And, and the, given the fact that the, the Club World Cup is so surprised down here, I was amazed that the confeds meant so little. But in Chile at the moment, what's the mood? Do, do you feel that you need to lay a marker down with this one, Adam, and and, and win it?
1: You know, as I alluded to early, you know this generation of players is just really hungry for success. So they want to ma- make their mark. No other generation has any- ever won anything. Yeah, if, if they won this as well, you know, it, it's 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 another trophy for for Chile. And as they hadn't won any before 2015, uh, that's obviously very important. I think hopes are certainly high here in Chile. Most people see it as a very winnable competition, especially with Germany not sending their strongest side. I think most people would see... Probably Portugal as the biggest obstacle, but yeah, I have to wait and see yeah in in their friendly in their friendly matches, they've been very weak um on set pieces, especially so so that's something to to look out for as a as a weakness in this Chile side, but as as we've seen in recent years, you know that they've they've just got so many strengths
0: around the country Adam you know the media and so on in Chile are are they rising to this one are are they paying attention to it again, it was something here. In the media that I, I was, I was astounded in Brazil in 2013 that it just got, it was so low brow, um, considering the stature of football here. What about your media there? Are, 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 are they keen for it? Are they, they, is there an appetite for it?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, The coverage on TV, radio, uh, internet, yeah, it's it's being talked about all the time at the moment. And basically, with this team being so successful, and as with any successful side, you know, but they have a huge following. Even people who don't necessarily usually watch football or or like football here in Chile will, you know, sit down with their families and and watch the matches. I I can't imagine there's going to be too many people not bothering. To watch any of these matches, so yeah, I, I think all the same people who who watched the World Cup in 2014 uh, and the last two Copa America finals, um yeah, uh, you know, I, I think we see those same people coming back for more this year, and um, certainly the the media coverage is 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 very intense.
0: Well, listen, uh, before I, I, I go into Tier 11s, so I think first of all, I'll ask you the question, Adam: Is there any of these? squad players in in this Chilean squad who maybe people don't know about players to watch maybe over the next couple of weeks who might surprise you is there any surprises in that Chilean squad
1: I would say there's there's possibly a couple that people haven't heard of um but one of them didn't have a particularly good game today. Defender Paolo Diaz. We've spoken a bit about him on our Cobra Libertadores pods. He plays for San Lorenzo and he's been having a really good year with them. But he struggled a bit today against Romania. So I'm not sure he's quite worked his way into the side yet. He's certainly a player who could impress if if he shows the same form he's shown for San Lorenzo. At the other end of the pitch, you've got Angelo Sagal, and Sagal is, is, a, is a number nine, who hasn't really stood out that much in Chilean domestic football, which is strange, but every time he plays for PC earlier this year in the China Cup, where a, a very small competition. Chile um, sent a B team to beat Croatia and Iceland to win it. Um, and Segal was one of the best players in in that tournament, and um, he scored a couple of goals as well. And he he also scored in a friendly against uh, Burkina Faso last week. He looks like a striker that that, that could impress. Um, he he certainly he certainly showed good form for under the management of Pizzi so, yeah, he's, he's possibly one to look out for. You know, Chile are hurt by the absence of um, striker Nico Castillo. I think this could have been a breakthrough tournament for him. But unfortunately, he's injured as he had been showing really good form in Mexico this year. Um so it's a, it's a little bit of a shame we don't get to see him in this tournament. As for the rest of the squad, I think uh, I think they're going to rely on that spine which has been so reliable for them, you know, Cl- Claudio Bravo in goal even though, you know, <laughs> most of us here in Chile have kind of looked on baffled really by Bravo's season in England. It's it's not the goalkeeper, you know. We we're, we're used to seeing. He's he he was missing today for the friendly and I f- felt that Chile were certainly weakened by it. I think he would have saved a couple of the uh, Romania goals. So um, yeah, you got Bravo and goal. You know, Medal at the back, and he got sent off today. So again, not not a particularly good omen going into the competition. But you know, the two star men are really Vidal in midfield, who who is probably the one player that is actually better under Pizi than, than maybe was under Sam Pauli. You know, for me, Vidal is probably the most complete all round midfielder in world football. So. Yeah, he can basically do everything, no tackle, run, hard, pass, he's skillful, shoots well, heads well. So yeah, superb number eight. And if, if Chile are gonna win this Confederation's Cup, they're gonna need him to be at his best and obviously as well, Alexis Sanchez, you know, Chile's best player in my opinion. Somebody who can produce something out of nothing, so skillful, gives Chile the thrust going forward. You know, he can cut in, he can do it out wide as well. Um, In the friendly the other day against Russia, his first touch set up a goal. Um, It was a brilliant 25-yard lob pass over Russia backline into Isla's feet. If Chile are to win this competition, then Sanchez, Vidal have to be at their best, I think. But but they need support from others. And, And the one player's form who's worrying me going into this competition, Charles Arangis, who's... Really, one of Chile's most consistent players over years, and and, and one of my favourite players. For me, one of the most underrated midfielders in the world. But in the friendlies against Russia and Romania in the last week, he's been he's been really poor. So that's probably the biggest worry heading in, into this competition: his form and also his midfield partner at times, Marcelo Diaz. He's he's not had a particularly good week or two either in these friendlies so yeah I I think that basically sums up the 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 Chile squad there about the only other player which springs to mind that maybe a lot of Europeans haven't heard of is um is Fuencelita and I'm I'm pretty sure Dave you'll remember him from the Cotolica side in uh, Copa Libertadores this year yes he scored a couple of goals in that and um and Pizzi really likes him I think he's probably going to be a starter for Chile in this competition. He might surprise a few people.
0: And I take it there really won't be many surprises, Adam, in that starting eleven. You know, Chile at the moment are pretty well settled. They're a well-oiled machine. You don't expect too many tinkerings, do you? No, no, I don't
1: really. There's a, there's only one place which is completely up for grabs, I would say, and that, and that is in Fuentes' leader's position. It's probably going to be between him or Pooch. To, to start um, in in that wide forward position. Oh, and Martin Rodriguez as well has a chance again. Another player that maybe many haven't heard of. Think that pretty much sums. Yeah, and my son is complaining in the background. So, a <laughs> sure.
0: what, what would a WFI podcast be without your dog or your son ch- chimping yeah, in? But, <laughs> people but, know. But, that, but, but, people but, know.
1: That. But, <laughs> They're very much part of the podcast these
0: days. <laughs> They're part of the WFI fibre. We By, yeah. by now we know all about them. Listen, I'll, I'll go down back to Dan again in Australia. And, and really the same for you again, uh, Dan. You know, obviously, is there any, you know, you, you said earlier on, there's not a great deal of players coming through. Is Do you feel that there's any players going to be on display here that we might not know about, Um, you, you know, who might surprise us? And and also really your starting lineup, does it does it basically pick itself or is is there a number of positions there that, that could be up for grabs?
4: Yeah, the starting lineup pretty much picks itself. You've got Matt Ryan who, who's the number one. He's he's been on loan in Genk from Belgium. He was at Valencia, but uh sort of fell out of favour with Gary Neville and never really got his place back after he left. And then you got the three centre backs, Miguel and Trent Sainsbury. Trent Sainsbury he's Pretty much clubless, he was in China, um, but then they changed the rules, so they gave him to his sister club Inter Milan, which is quite nice. So never really featured for them, so he hasn't played much. But the three that are on display: Aaron Moy, who is in the shop window massively. He's owned by Man City, had a stellar season with Huddersfield, so they're they're trying to offload him. So pretty much going to um, they bought M- Melbourne Sea for I think ten billion dollars. So once they sell Moy, that will pay for the entire club that they they pay for. So that's good for them. And then you've got Jackson Irvine, who's been at Burton Albion. He was their leading goal scorer. He won Players Player of the Year and Fans Player of the Year. And he's been fantastic. He signed from Ross County in Scotland, given a chance in the championship, and he's been absolutely brilliant. And uh, there's a guy called Tommy Urich. I'm not sure if anyone knows him from... Um, he's up front number nine for Luzerne in Switzerland. And I know he's trying to get a move out of Switzerland to a bigger club. So he's going to be in the shop. window. he's probably a six foot three traditional number nine, um, can shoot from range. Fantastic in the air, not the paciest, um, but it's the service is all down to him. And that's all going to come from Irvine, Moy and Rogic. So they're the three that will be looking to move on. I think, I think Rogic is wasted in Scotland, um, Although he's at Celtic and he's a key player for them, he's playing Champions League football, but it must get a bit boring playing in Scotland for Celtic after a while.
0: Uh, I I don't comment on Celtic because I'm not a fan of their manager. But (laughs) (laughs) do do you feel, Dan, you know, obviously beyond, you know, the the first squad there, is there players coming up behind in Australia at the minute? Is Is the grassroots still working there, producing players?
4: uh not really they uh brought over a dutch guy to bring in a national curriculum that all grassroots football and they all play the same formation they all play the same system and that apparently answered the football god's prayer for australia so um, that hasn't really worked yet they're staying with it so i think that's upset a lot of the football community that everyone has to play the the same formation but the subs bench is a good player who i really rate So jamie McLaren, he's had a a great two years in Australia He scored 40 goals in 57 games I think in any division that's good for a 23 year old striker he's just been sold to a second division team in Germany so he's got a big chance but he's very much behind Tommy Urich. so whether or not he'll come off the bench and perform he's quite he's a traditional small striker his burst of pace is fantastic so hopefully he'll do well but other than the starting 11 there isn't much depth to the squad I'm just going through some of the players here now and you know, When they make a sub, it's always going to be a massive weakness for them. And I think once the players get a couple of knocks and they, they run out of energy, as soon as the subs come in, they are going to struggle.
0: Mm, indeed. Well, listen, we'll, we'll move across to, to, to the other Dan who has the opposite problem, really, because I think with, with the squad that uh, Germany are taking, albeit a secondary squad, the majority of them are pretty big, big needs around the world of football still, Dan. Uh, what way do you see him putting a team together here I think that's maybe the more interesting point for, for Germany is, is what uh, we will see from them and who you maybe ex- expect to shine
2: Obviously since uh, Philipp Bam retired from international football they haven't really found his replacement yet so they've played um, three at the back for quite a while now uh, starting in goal, we've got Marc Andre Ter Stegen, who, in my opinion, he's not Germany's second best keeper behind Manuel Neuer. I'd rather have Bern Leno starting the back three: Bastian uh, of Arsenal, Rudiger of Roma, and Nicolas Sula of now Bayern Munich. As of July the first, they're all pretty big names in Germany. And then you've got. Jonas Hector, he's 27 years old. He's, he's a late bloomer in the Germany side. I think he made his international debut maybe two seasons ago, but he's only missed about three or four games for Clone in the past three or four years. He's actually played 29 games, which is makes him one of the most experienced in this squad at the minute. I think he's going to start on the left side of midfield for Germany, even though he's a left-back by trade. Jonas Hector, he actually captained Cologne to fifth in the Bundesliga, which obviously means Europa League. And on the opposite flank, you've got Joshua Kimmich, who doesn't really need an introduction, so to speak. He's been tipped as a land successor, but I think he prefers a more central role. But is very versatile and can play anywhere. Through the middle, you've got Emre Channel, of Liverpool and Sebastian Rudy. They have a great understanding, and again, they're both very versatile players. Rudy, of course, he's joining Bayern Munich on a free contract as well. He's helped Hoffenheim finish fourth in the Bundesliga, which means Champions League, which is their first ever time in the competition. Even though he's a more defensive player, he's got seven assists. So you know how he fits into this Germany side, he might make those late runs into the box. If Germany do want to be more attacking, if they will go behind or if they want to open up play, they've got um Schalkers Leon Goretzka who's had a great season. And then just in front of them and behind the strikers, I would put Julian Draxler who is actually the captain and in this squad he's got the most caps with 30 so i think that's a bit worrying considering he's only 23 he's a captain i think i'd rather have someone like as captain but now he's got his big money move to psg it'll be interesting to see how he settles down and finally kicks on his football career for germany because he has been criticized in the past and then something we haven't seen from germany in the past often is Two up front, which is what I've gone for, and it's what they've played a few times in the past couple of years now, is, well, I've gone for Lars Dindal and Sandro Wagner, who, prior to a squad announcement, hadn't made an international debut. But Sandro Wagner, he got, well, firstly, he kept Darmstadt up last season with his goals, and then he got that move to Hoffenheim. 11 goals in 30 league games is a great return. But what worrying about him, he's 29 years old and he's only making you know his international tournament debut now. Is it too late? But the argument is you've got Mario Gomez, who is in his 30s. So uh, he is an out-and-out striker and he, he will score the goals. But Germany wants to be trying someone younger like Timo Werner, who they've also got in the squad. He actually finished Germany's top scorer in the Bundesliga with 21 goals.
1: Wasn't he... Um, Thomas Molly? Sorry, Daniel. Timo Werner booed. By his own supporters, his own German supporters, the other day in a friendly, because he plays for Red
2: Bull. Is that right? It was right. Yeah, I mean, there's all this commotion about Leipzig being on by Red Bull, and they might not even get the Champions League yet because of uh, Salzburg winning their league. But the hate about Red Bull is really big because Germans are very traditional, and you know, you might have seen it in on the news or whatever a couple of months ago when um, well, uh, they played Borussia Dortmund and the fans were attacked. So there's a bit of commotion about him and basically no one likes him. The game against Hoffenheim has been labelled El Plástico because they're sort of the same sort of ownership where they're exempted the 50 plus 1 ruling. Timo Werner is arguably Germany's best striker at the minute, but he's also hated by those who don't like RB Leipzig. I would start Timo Werner with his 21 goals, but he is only 21, so... Do you play him now or do you partner Sandro Wagner with Lars Stindl who has, no, who's another late bloomer to the international side. He's 28, plays for and Mönchengladbach. He's really been their key player this season and he's the one to watch from me. Yeah, he was um, Gladbach's key player in what was a past season by their standards. He's very reliable and has a good work rate. He's a good finisher with 11 goals like I've said and he also makes all those late runs into the box so... But it'll just be interesting to see how Jürgen Love sets him up with Sandro Wagner's. I expect them two to start in some form.
0: And Dan, the rest of the squad, there you want? there's basically another team in behind that. Is there any of those names there that maybe might not be, let's say, just as, as highbrow, who might impress?
2: I wouldn't say defensively. We've got Matthias Gint, who obviously is a big, well, not a big name, but he plays for Borussia Dortmund. And he's been linked with Tottenham Hotspur. We've got Benjamin Henricks, a uh, wing-back for Bayer Leverkusen. He's only 20. So it's going to be interesting. I don't think they'll start for Germany, but the good squad players to have in their team... As I mentioned, Gretzka could play if they want to play more attacking, but they've also got a guy called Karim Dem- Demiabai in there. He's only 23 years old and he's really kicked on this season after joining Hoffenheim. He's been one of Hoffenheim's key players this season with six goals and eight assists in 27 games. And again, if Germany want to change it up, they could play him instead of Draxler. Maybe put Draxler out wide, uh, Demiabai just behind the strikers or centre midfield. Germany have been like... um very rigid of late, but they do have the potential to play a lot of fluid football now. And then, obviously, someone we haven't mentioned is Amin Yunus of Ajax. He obviously got to the Europa League with them, uh, getting beat by Manchester United. But in the run-up, I've only watched him in the Europa League, but in the run-up to that final, he tore uh, full-backs apart. And again, he's very small, agile on the ball, and he's got a low sensor of gravity so he can easily get past his players. If the final ball is there, he could be someone else that Germany could look at
0: starting. Lots of options, but then it's Germany, you'd be surprised if they didn't have that that depth and and those many options. Sam, yourself for for Cameroon, uh, what, what do we expect uh, player wise? Uh, you know, just your first eleven pick itself? What have you got in reserve? Anybody who might surprise us? Talk us through it.
3: Bruce loves a, loves a few surprises, so he's, um, he's he's picked a few players that you know didn't feature in the um, African combinations winning his squad. The, the the guys who mainly started are all in there, so I'm expecting a kind of uh, continuation from that. Really, I mean, it's a, in terms of players who stand out, is you know this uh, on, on the on the wing, they've got Christian Baccaglione, who's of course the uh, African Confederation's Player of the Year this year. He's a real sort of Relentless sort of uh, winger who just, you know, just, he'll, he'll run at his full back all day long and just completely exhaust them. So I expect to see a lot of tired left backs camp, uh, up against Cameroon. Um, in midfield, there's, they sort of play this, uh, they'll play 4 3 3 and they'll have, have two midfielders, uh, Georges Manjek and Sebastian Ciani, um, sort of sitting behind Benjamin Mucanjo who is the captain. And Bukongo is a is a real real classic sort of African national team player in many ways. He's he's sort of, he's carved himself out quite an average career in in the French league playing for Lorient and previously. And he yeah he's you know plays kind of quite averagely for his club, but he really turns on the style when he when he plays for Cameroon. He's he's a an excellent dribbler, really quick sort of got a good good creativity, got a lot of finesse in the way he shoots. He's got a wonderful free kick. Um, in the game against uh, Burkina Faso earlier, early, early in the year, it was a real, real gem. Um, so he, he is—he's a joy to watch. He's one of my favourite players, possibly in, that, in all of African football. And he—he's a survivor from the from the World Cup, actually, as well. <laughs> so um, yeah, one of the one of the few ones. The back, uh, but it's interesting. The, the back is a real sort of hodgepodge of players, but they—they've somehow managed to become incredibly. Tight and the way in the way they're organised. Um, you know, you, you look at this. You look at who was playing there a few years ago, and it was, it was you know quite a well-known backline, sort of the likes of Joel Matib, Nicholas Nkulu, Alan Neon, Henri Bedimo, and stuff. Yeah, so not not big names, but names you might have heard of if you follow European football. But now they're all gone. The, the one that stands out for me is, is uh, a guy called Ambrose Ayungo. He's a he's a he's a left back who he, he plays in Canada for Montreal Impact. I mean, you're getting an idea of the diversity of where these players play their domestic football, but he's a, he's a real good player. Like He, he came in for the 2015 African Cup of Nations and he's just, um, I don't know I really like him. He, he's consistent. He, I've never seen him play well really. He, he gets up and down. He, he does his defensive duties. He's a real stalwart at the back there. I know mean, the goalkeepers is where it gets interesting, actually. So that you got, you got, um, Andre Onana, who, who's Ajax's goalkeeper. Still only 21. He obviously made the Europa League final. He's only got one cap. I think he might have got his cap getting, uh, he might have started against Colombia today. So he might be on two caps now, but the, he is kept out of the side most of the time by a, by a young lad, also 21 called Fabrice Ondoa. Uh, Fabrice Ondoa is possibly got a, another wonderful, wonderfully hilarious career where he's, you know, he started off at Barcelona, I signed him from the Samueletti Academy. He was released from there. He went to Gymnastique, so where he didn't play any football. He's since then been loaned out to the uh, Sevilla's B team, where he's only ever played once. And in total, he's played six or seven domestic games in his his, his whole career. Yet for the Cameroon, he's already, he's already got 31 caps and he's 21. And he plays absolutely magnificently in everyone. He's a real. Solid, commanding goalkeeper. He's an excellent shot stopper. You know, doesn't doesn't slip up, and make the mistakes. He's a real joy to watch. God knows why his domestic career is is um, is stalling so much. He's he's a very capable goalkeeper, but he just <laughs> doesn't seem to get the chances. So, yeah, there's a, you know, there's a few sort of familiar names in there. There's maybe there's Vincent Abubakar who was playing for Porto last season. Now he's on loan at Besiktas. But other than that, it's a, you know, it's a real mix of players that the, uh, you know, half of whom I didn't know of as of about three months ago, so <laughs> there you go.
0: And we have no Roger Meal to come off the bench or anything, no no, no sensations like that? No, no,
3: no, Roger Meal, I think, he has not been called up by the Cameron president this time. So it, It's is. a damn
0: shame, it's a damn shame. Absolutely, yeah. I'd, wa- yeah, I'd well. watch him 60.
3: <laughs> yeah, the world would be a simpler place if he was on the bench, but uh, alas, maybe, maybe a late call-up, who knows.
0: Yeah, the, the world of football misses such a smile. Uh, listen, I'll stay with you, Sam. You know, obviously your prediction for Cameroon and, and maybe, you know, how far you see them going? What, what's key for them to, to progress yeah. and so on? And, and your overall winner.
3: It, it, it whilst, yeah, I've been quite pessimistic, but, but in many ways, it's this kind of, it's this tournament's totally almost built for Cameroon, like that they, they thrive against sides who, who come onto them. The sides they really profited off in, in the, in the victorious cafe nations ones, whether once they could sit back, you know, keep it, keep it tight. It'll go quite narrow and then hit, and hit teams on the break with that pace. they're, they're really very capable of capitalising. I mean, they are facing sides by and large who are just a lot better than them. So logically, you would think that they might be able to capitalise. I mean, uh, indeed, I, I, I watched them. I watched them just before the uh, for the twenty fourteen World Cup in a friendly against Germany in. Went to Gladbach to see the game, and um, yeah, they really held their own. I think I think they finished two all. I know it's a friendly, but it was against Germany. The side who eventually uh, went on to won it, win it, obviously. And yeah, they're very impressive. So yeah, it's, it's they're, they're very capable in the day. So you know, who knows? But I mean, I just can't with, with the kind of the atmosphere of the tournament. You know, it's kind of slightly casual. Maybe it doesn't always matter. I, feel, I can see them perhaps not being as disciplined and as sort of. Yeah, you know, they have this real sort of siege mentality because uh, so many players dropped out for the different uh, combinations this year. They this real sort of like no one will beat us attitude. Uh, uh, but I, just, I can't really see that continuing, to be honest. So yeah, I, I think they're gonna they'll, they'll drop out. But yeah, at least they they might give themselves that they might bring some bother to the other teams. Hopefully.
0: And and who do you see that Sam? If, if I put you on the spot, oh, uh, time to uh, yeah, make an idiot of, of ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, gonna,
3: I'm gonna go for uh, uh, Chile. I think I think they you know it's a, uh, uh, opportunity to them for the they've always performed very well in the against the sort of top european sides that were and i think this is a great opportunity then to give themselves a good reputation on the on the world stage and yeah i think they've got an excellent squad i really i've always loved watching them play and um yeah hoping they'll sort of take advantage of the perhaps weaknesses in other, in other squads and uh, go all the way
0: no, I echo that completely. As I say, from an American point of view, I'll be behind Chile myself. Uh, we'll go to, go to Australian, Dan, now. And obviously, Australia as a nation have uh, their own mind made up about this tournament. What, what do you see <laughs> happening to Australia? And, um, you know, who, who do you see prevailing and winning the thing?
4: Uh, I'd honestly be surprised if Australia did get out of the group. I think they'll lose to Germany. Maybe they could get something out of Cameroon. If I- they're definitely not going to get anything out of Chile. And yeah, my money's also on Chile. I think they'll be taking this tournament seriously and it'll be, they're just so good going forwards. I can't see anyone um, stopping them, to be honest.
0: No, a decent call. Okay, well, swing across to Dan from the German side of things. Um, again, I think it's an interesting one, Dan, to be honest with you, um, you know, how far this German team can go. Personally, what's your expectation for them and, and who do you see as overall winners?
2: Yeah, so obviously, like I said, I've got them down for the semi-finals at best. But then is that argument that they are a tournament team and when the pressure is there, they do perform well. But in the end, I still don't see them winning. For me, I think Portugal, they've got a good, strong squad, and especially with Bernardo Silva there, and obviously Andre Silva. I think they've got some good players in there and could potentially go on and win it.
0: Um, we'll go across to Chile now. Adam, I'm sure you have Chile down to win it, but uh, tell us all.
1: Well, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think Chile stand a very good chance of winning it. My, my gut says it's going to be between them and um, Portugal. To win it, if I if I had to pick a winner, that's my prediction: Chile or Portugal. Fair
0: enough. Uh, I'll run around the table here quickly uh, to close. Just uh, where you can be found on Twitter. Anything you want to plug? Uh, and we'll start with Australian Dan working uh, with Find You on Twitter. Uh, anything you would like to plug? Any any articles or anything like that? Feel free. Floor's yours.
4: Um, I'm not on Twitter now, um, but you can check out my good Vimeo man. page. So that's <laughs> that's a, it's a good start there. But my Vimeo page, Daniel Hemingway, would be worth checking out. You can see all the work I produce juice here in Australia learn some more about some Australian football
0: I do envy I wish I could live without a Twitter account. Just, <laughs> no just one cares. On that that it's, just people, awful. Really. it's awful. Awful. <laughs> no, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not your opinion. It's, it's other people's opinion. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and Dan, yourself, other Dan, uh working we find you? And, you know, we're, we're, you're coming on to WFI with a new Bundesliga podcast very shortly. We're very excited about that. But working with find you on Twitter? Anybody you want to plug that website far away, floor is yours.
2: Yep. So I am on Twitter at Daniel J. Pinder. You can find me there. I also get German football news, which like I said it's going to be a podcast shortly. Hope to get a episode recorded shortly. You can follow them on Twitter at ggfn underscore. And that's for all the latest German news on German football in English on Twitter.
0: That's cool. And Sam, yourself, do, do you do Twitter or are you another one of these abstentionists? No, unfortunately I do. I'm pretty feed at the moment me hating on Twitter
3: so that's necessarily folks everyone folk but my, my Twitter handle is at um sam underscore C Croc, R O T K. but i really would encourage you um to send sandals for goalpost.com it's the site I assisted running and me and my far more talented colleagues um it's, it's I, I do genuinely believe it's one of the best sources for African football and Asian and Asian football as well um sort of content on the internet it's uh, in english at least and um yeah i mean i'm i i have not been the most prolific of, of writer in the recent recent past but my, my colleagues are, are exceptional and um yeah so i, I really would encourage you to go visit, visit visit there
0: yeah and you should be doing a podcast for wfi on african football we'd love that you should you should, you should. The doors open come to us anytime talk to us we'd love to have you
3: <laughs> yeah we're a bit too lazy and disorganized at uh, the general we've quite managed to do our own podcast. <laughs> it's been one of those things we've been we've been talking about, but we um yeah, but we'll we'll, we'll get there one day maybe.
0: Adam yourself, <laughs> where can we find you? As if we don't need to be told. But anything you have got going on, plug away. Yeah, uh, you
1: can find me at Canadian Scores. Uh, the last thing I wrote is uh, it's a little bit dated now. It was the semi-final preview for the Uruguay-Venezuela Under Twenty World Cup. But if you want to find out about up-and-coming players in South America then I've pointed out a few, a few upcoming stars in that piece. So it's still worth checking out on the worldfootballindex.com. So, yeah, that's about the only thing I have to plug at the moment. Uh, follow me on Twitter for all the latest action in the Confederations Cup next week.
0: Okay, dokie. Well, from my own point of view, basically I'm going back into hibernation again. I'm basically taking the whole of June off. Uh, as you can probably tell, our WFI feed is not moving very rapidly, but there will still be podcasts coming through. Obviously, the start of the transfer window WFI will be back up and running at full potential again. Uh, Come July, uh, as I say, I'm just taking this month, taking it quiet. We've got a lot of new pods coming along. Uh, we've got a new Russian pod, should be out for you this week. As Dan said there, hopefully we'll get uh, the new Bundesliga pod. And we have the new spotlight, the scouting spotlight, which has gone out uh, one today. There'll be another one on Thursday. And as I say, the South American side of things will keep you running. We'll obviously keep an eye on the confeds for you as well. But until uh, the next pod, I I don't know when that will be, Adam will sort it. It's just thank you so much to the three guys, three new voices tonight for WFI. Delighted they were on. Thank you so much for your time, guys. And the listener, thank you very much for taking the time to listen to us. And until we meet again, it is goodbye.